Hey all, welcome to Film Suck. It's our Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are kicking off our, our Film Suck summer film series, or not kicking off, but continuing. And we call it FSFS for short. Such a tongue twister. <laughs> that will take us through the end of July. Today, our episode we're calling Heat Wave Horror, in which we talk about summer films in vacation and holiday settings like beaches, summer camps, and so on. And our main example is going to be Friday the 13th, the 1980 horror film that generated one of the most profitable franchises in Hollywood history. Helping us get a grip on this um, particular topic is our guest and friend, Ian Miller. Welcome, Ian. Ian, we're so happy you're here. Ian's a Bay Area-based musician, podcaster, and film lover who hosted the Miscarriage of Justice podcast. I was a guest on it. It was delightful. And now does Film Basics with bassists. Is that, is that how you say this? That Love Film, which is a wonderful title. And that's his new podcast with Ross Hurt. And his dad, uh, Vincent Miller, also wrote the screenplay for Friday the 13th, which we didn't even know when we invited Ian on. So imagine our, our excitement. <laughs> um, and technically, that makes him, I believe, Jason Voorhees' um, older brother. So, <laughs> or J- Jason, is, Jason is his older brother. Oh, his older brother. Yeah. Sorry. I totally screwed up that beautiful intro. Damn it. Well, close <laughs> Math is hard. <laughs> it so is and i always was bad <laughs> so what are we talking about anyway with this kind of vacation horror theme and why do we care um we we're, we're going to talk about a couple of other briefly a couple of other films to sort of set the terms for why we were interested in the first place jaws being one and whatever happened to baby jane being another the idea simply being um you get an added show kind of thrill of horror when you set a horror film, anything that's, you know, fearful, gory, full of mayhem, et cetera, in a situation that's associated with, you know, summer fun, beach, sand, everyone outside playing and feeling invulnerable <laughs> and yeah. happy. So you get an extra kind of terror effect, I, I think, anyway, I would argue, um, from that kind of a combination. And, in this, and, there's, and especially, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, summer in the summer film series. Um, summer is this time where you, you, you know, you're, you're wearing far less clothing, you're indoors far less, you're, you, and you, but you're not thinking of making yourself vulnerable in any way. That's my sense anyway. Anyone want to chime in on that? Yeah. Oh, I think there's something about like innocence corrupted because, Mm -hmm. which is like such a prevalent theme in horror. Um, Mm -hmm. because summer is like, it's, you know, mankind and it's innocence. Like we get to just, (laughs) you know, even the, even though we live like often citified lives, summer is the time, as you say, where we get to like head out into nature and not wear Mm -hmm. as as much clothing. And so, you know, it's kind of a celebratory time of coming, Mm -hmm. coming back to the earth. And that's a perfect time to fuck people up so (laughs) yeah i don't know yes dolores was just telling me that she had she watched friday the 13th the 1980 film the first one and had nightmares well you guys know like i'm just gonna like preface this whole conversation with i have no idea what i'm talking about regarding horror i've got my little like i've got the horror genre like one of those shortcuts notes about genres i'm just like what the hell is this because all of this shit scares me to death which is why i will be talking about whatever happened to baby jane today the least scary film on the Mm -hmm. docket um so ian i watched your dad's masterpiece and i was like whatever this isn't scary i watched it in the afternoon 
soon. Like there was a glare on the screen so I could barely see anything. It was so sunny in my living room. And I was like, perfect. Lo and behold, last night I had a nightmare that like a stabby serial killer was lurking outside the house. And I was like in a house with all my friends and my cat escaped to the backyard and I had to go out there to save it. So dot, dot, dot. Then I woke up. But anyways, that's that's a perfect scenario because, you know, how to decoy everybody out and by themselves is is one of the key narrative problems. Oh, God, yes. I'm ready to green light that right now. (laughs) Let's make it. Let's do it. Just find $550,000 and we can make it. Okay. But I need my cat to be played by like a goat or like some other animal. Like I can't, I can't deal with the cat coming yeah. to any harm. Not actual cat. No, okay. that would never happen. Okay. But Thanks. you know, if we use, if we use Jaws as our example, simply because it's the beachiest, you know, it's, it's set in, it was shot in at Martha's Vineyard in um, Massachusetts. It's in, in a town that's called Amity or it's on Amity Island and the whole town is um, reliant on summer tourist dollars. It literally makes all its money off fun in the sun. Yeah. So, so you're always being out on the beach. You're always having people frolicking in the water, but now you're terrified all the time. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's, it seems like it's at least the, the movie that I could think of easiest um, that really conveys um, and keeps hitting this same kind of nerve over and over and over. And another interesting thing about Jaws is its weirdly prescient relationship to the COVID pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and, and I n- noticed this when we were first having, you know, the first scares and the first government mishandling of, of the whole thing, that there was a constant tendency to compare whichever, whichever governor, whichever person was fucking it up this time um, to the mayor, of course. Uh, I mean, this is just like the mayor in Jaws. So you're, clearly gonna, <laughs> you're playing the mayor in Jaws right now because the mayor in Jaws always wants to open the beaches. No right. matter what. Wonderful shark attack. portrayed by, um, was it Murray Hamilton? That yes. Mayor Larry Vaughn? Yes, 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 God, yes. He's so sleazy. The way he always is carrying but not smoking the cigarette was just <laughs> such a nice, <laughs> you know, subtle, like sleazy thing that he did that really Ab- sort of brought it all home for me. It was great. Absolutely. The, only, got that, that, the oh, thing from, from the thing that diverges mm. uh, very profoundly from mm-hmm. the COVID parallel, however, is when uh brody confronts mm. larry vaughn in the hospital and right. and you know larry vaughn says yeah we screwed up we need right. to make this right that has right. yet to happen there, yeah exactly there's been no reckoning that's where you go right into fantasy land exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what we never get but the but the way you know you know the, the money capitalism finance really drives the decision of whether or not to believe that there's something horrifying happening even when it's actually happening and it's clear it's happening and and there's a scientific expert right there in the yep. case of jaws played by richard <laughs> dreyfus and perhaps his greatest part he's so good <laughs> playing hooper <laughs> yeah yeah he, he's a hoot and a half because he's always in a just a a spluttering rage because <laughs> yeah. you know I, I can't talk to someone who's 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 setting himself up to be a hot lunch I can't, you know and he's really really he's never been funnier can can Ed, I, I i don't know if my brain has just been destroyed by what about mm. bob but i cannot look at dreyfus now and not see dr leo marvin <laughs> oh, thank he god is, he just I've avoided is that, that character to me <laughs> Because this is my, my, this and American Graffiti are my first impressions of Dreyfus. Yep. And I've clung to them over the years because he's so good. In both. So, so good. So good. So good. And of course, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, Roy, Roy Scheider is also terrific. Um, you know, and none of these people are first choice people. I'm reading up on the behind the scenes mayhem. And oh, miserable yeah, the, the film to make. The production was just beset. 
Oh my god! At every turn, it at was a disaster. Every turn. <laughs> Really it was. was. So they had no <laughs> cast. They had no script. They had no friggin' shark. They had no shark. <laughs> and then the shark, they finally uh, does none. They like three, right? And they're constantly malfunctioning. And but of course, it leads to the genius of let's hardly ever show the shark. Absolutely. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, yeah. So it has. You know, it literally goes a hundred days. It was supposed to take fifty some days. It take. It goes a hundred days over. Oh shit. <laughs> It was just a nightmare. It was a total, and, and you know Spielberg insisting on shooting actually almost everything in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> you know, he's just hilarious. The whole thing yeah, is very can, fun. You can to tell read which ones are shot in a pool, right? Uh, there's some of the the night <laughs> dive, um, right, where, where Dreyfus discovers and then drops the giant tooth. Like that's clearly in very still water. But yeah, a lot of it is on the open, yeah. uh, if not ocean, then at least sound or bay. Right, mm-hmm. so you've got a lot of miserable crew people. <laughs> sunburned, miserable, very wet, very pissed sunburned. off. <laughs> but at any rate, to get to, to get to the movie, I mean, I, you know, this, there's a, so many scenes are famous, but the the, the famous scene of of Brody on the beach, he's been kind of arm twisted. He knows better. Gets arm twisted into opening the beaches, and he's sitting there in a state of tense terror on this beach that's crowded. While people are frolicking all around him, including in the water. So there's a guy throwing a stick for his dog. And there is, you know, a kid floating on, on a, um, you know, a blow up raft. And there's a couple out there, you know, blah, blah. There's, there's people out there. And he's desperately trying to keep his eyes on the water because he knows what's going to he knows what's going to happen. But he's the only mm-hmm. one. So it's the best scene for me to really convey the. The tension, the, the the tension that ratchets up in again the kind of beachy holiday festive scenario where there's only one person like waiting in dread and everyone else is having fun in the sun like sitting ducks not knowing right um, and of course it's a great use of the famous dolly zoom the Hitchcock innovation that he, that he devised for Vertigo where you basically you either dolly in and and zoom out or the reverse. And it gives you, you know, the whole background seems to go distort and you get this incredible effect of horrified emotion. And this, of course, happens on a shot of Brody when the, the finally the attack that he's waiting for occurs <laughs> out in the water. Um, so so that's the scene, I think, that best encompasses um, what I'm talking about. That's my argument anyway. <laughs> it really is beautiful. Yeah, it's burned into my brain. Yeah, it's, it's not a thing. If you, if you see it, it's not it's not a thing you will soon forget. Right, right. I and hadn't, I haven't actually watched the whole movie in a long time, but same. it's one of my favorites. And so, and I w- just watched a couple of scenes to refresh my memory, and I remembered them so well. It was like I don't even need to watch this. I remember yeah. this so well. The thing that the, one of the things that really struck me on this rewatch is mm. so Jaws is seventy five. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot right. of time has elapsed since then, <laughs> right? And just the um, not not the pacing of the film, but the the mm-hmm. length of the shots and the cuts and the mm-hmm. setups. Uh, it, it's stu- e- even slower in that regard than I think. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? There are shots that go on for ninety seconds, two minutes, two and mm-hmm. a half minutes, mm-hmm. and and it's they're they're dynamic. Yeah. Stuff is happening, and it works. But mm-hmm. it's just striking in light of the you know past forty five years absolutely of, of film. It is um, almost alien. It's like a different medium, practically. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> yes. right. And and it's but, and actually, I'm I'm in a, in a in a renewed case of irritation at exactly that tendency. I mean, it's not like you can't make the much faster cutting great, mm-hmm. be great and thrilling, but so many people don't, and it becomes a kind of substitute, and you will still mm-hmm. wind up with a very inert film. Often. Yes, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know? And so it's, it's cheating. Yeah. It's, it's cheat in the wrong hands. It's, it's just, it's, it's just can, can be deadly. I, I have an example. I'm, I'm reviewing it called in the Heights and I just, Oof. it's a Julian salad <laughs> cutting Oof. and movement on screen. That is not adding up to any, any movement that you can feel. <laughs> you see, you're just like, ah, I'm not, I'm that- not here. <laughs> Not that I want to get like totally sidetracked, but I think In the Heights does fit the category of summer horror. Um, does it? <laughs> does it? Wait, is it like a? I, I'm disappointed to hear that. Not that I thought it was mm. going to be good, but like at least the players are people who are on Broadway. Yeah. I, yes, I believe so. Then there's tons of talent. You can tell. That and I feel, but they they usually do that talented. like that really fast cutting when they're trying mm. to make a musical in contemporary times. Cause they've hired right. like Renee Zellweger and she can't, right. do, and she do can't do anything. Or dancing. Um, exactly. so why, why do they persist why? with this strategy? That is so yeah. shit. I, especially in scenes where they have like, you know, tons of dancers who are clearly all really good. And it's just, you, not one of them ever gets to complete emotion. Because <laughs> you, yeah. you keep cutting, I would have killed him. I would have just been, oh well, if I'd seen the film, I and I had been a dancer and worked really hard. Man, I would have gone and murdered John Chu. I know you <laughs> never would. even get to like complete emotion, no. you know, no. like no, and you so you can't drink in any of what's no doubt incredible stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, it's God. really really awful. So yeah, it can that can be a really terrible tendency. But you're right, it is like going to a whole other medium, and it, <laughs> I, I, in a way, because I wasn't even aware of that, because of course that's the one I was raised on. So yep. to me, I'm just going home. Right, right. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. And before we, I mean, I, I don't mm. know if we're going to start talking about whatever happened to Baby Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll segue shortly. Yeah, well, but go ahead. I do, to maybe for Dolores's edification. Uh, Please. She's not, not that familiar with the genre. I am not. So the goal of any successful horror film, or at least in the, let's call it the slasher genre, the old school horror stuff, Mm-hmm. Uh, m- middle school, old school, not post hammer, post hammer, pre whatever modern day is. Uh-huh. The, the 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 operation is to find a situation that is in and of itself not terrifying mm-hmm. and and make it terrifying, right? So so um, mm-hmm. a situation one might find oneself in 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 uh, you know the the normal uh, completion normal, of one's duties, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So in the water. When you fall asleep, um, mm. if you're talking about the Freddy Krueger franchise, mm. if you're at you know at a summer camp, right? That's mm-hmm. Like when my dad was writing this, mm-hmm. the uh, Friday Thirteenth, that is, um, the assignment was Halloween had been a huge hit. We need to knock it off. We need to rip it off, mm-hmm. yeah. and and do one on the cheap for half a million dollars and mm-hmm. see how it works. And so, mm-hmm. you know. Y- you start you start from the scenario like mm-hmm. what is scary mm-hmm. and then you work backwards from there to set up all of the 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 action so mm-hmm. um I it think, has to be banal right like in order to be it has to yes mm-hmm. precisely yeah. it has to be something that the viewer could theoretically experience mm-hmm. got it or that's the goal um mm-hmm. and so yeah being i don't know being out in the woods by yourself mm-hmm. it's not universal but but it's universal enough sure um it's certainly being out in the water like Jaws ruined generations of people <laughs> for, for, for swimming, swimming in the ocean. Right, <laughs> right, right. It was brilliant in that yeah. regard. And I remember I was seven when it came out. I remember the cultural impact that it had. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it was a movie that parents were saying that they they would not allow their kids to see. It was <laughs> keeping people out of the water. Like, mm-hmm. was- and meantime, kids are going multiple, multiple. This is where you start the summer. The summer blockbuster yes. is usually held up as the first real one yep. because so much repeat business, and it just becomes this un- insane. <laughs> what we would now call tentpole film. It makes such. Re- yep. Money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The the first film that I can remember people going back to see more than one time. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe paving the way for things like Star Wars, which would come the following year. Right. Right. So is this is this the first blockbuster? Would people say that's what they tend to say? It has. I been, mean, yeah. I can remember the the God the Godfather was a huge. Mm-hmm. I think it was a little. It was heading in that direction. So it was also, but it's such a serious film, and that was more prestige. Yeah, that seems um, less aimed at like a youth market. Yeah, even this though I'm was sure. the first of the summer. Yeah. Summer becomes it, and that's where you're hoping to make all your money on these big action horror kind of spectacle things. Yeah, I also right. do think it's remarkable that this was essentially Spielberg's second feature, yes. and his first had not even come out yet. Oh yes. my god! Duel, Duel was made for TV. Hmm. Right. And then, mm. gosh, what was the weird thing? I haven't even seen it. Um, his very oh, I haven't either. I didn't even feature what's was. I, I guys, I'm not a Spielberg. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> okay. Look at us. This is hilarious. Um, the Sugarland Express. Oh, yes. And okay. I should see that. I have heard that. That's interesting yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a yeah. young, gorgeous Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Right. Yeah. Uh, Goldie. Yeah. But That's no, I, I, I'm always the one saying Jaws is his greatest film. And then people are like, yeah, great. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It, it, the whole thing works. It's just, it works. All of it. All of it works. Yeah. Things that you wouldn't think wouldn't work. The whole, you know, USS Indianapolis speech. Oh my God. Talk about going on minutes, minutes. It's, it goes on. It's a long ass monologue by Robert Shaw, who's great as Quinn. Yeah. And man, they just let him talk through that whole real life horror scenario. Yep. So you can, of course, get acquainted with his Ahab-like tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, at the, at the risk of really belaboring this, yeah, that is an incredible scene. Oh, love it. Probably the highlight of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. You forget all the shark stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but just watching Dreyfus in the background of that, oh, I know, I know, subtly out of focus, but. He, and he's, he's out of the circle of light. He's half in shadow. But he's yes, that, that, but that he's whole, so appalled. Everything on the bridge of the of the mm-hmm. boat is shot very strangely. Like mm-hmm. um, it's the, the same thing with Ray Scheider sort of being in mm-hmm. almost the pitch black. But the mm-hmm. way he's just star- staring so intently, never yeah. upstaging, never overacting. It's mm-hmm. absolutely a perfect portrayal of someone out of focus in a two shot. It's great. Right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he was such a great young actor. He was just tremendous. And yeah. it's great because if I'm remembering right, he he's the one who knows as soon as he says I was on the USS. You know, he knows mm-hmm. already what that means. Absolutely. Um, yes. Whereas Scheider doesn't know, you know, so it's like he he's appalled from the very start of the story because he knows where it's going. It's yeah. but all, you know, all, all the men who <laughs> died from shark attack beautiful. while they floated in the, you know, the wreckage of their torpedoed boat. And, and it's but it's so beautifully done that, again, it can motivate all the crazy ass shit that Quint is going to do from then on <laughs> and sabotaging their apparent ability to save themselves because he's so determined, again, Ahab, um, to hunt down this this monster shark mm-hmm. that he doesn't care what he has to do. So he's destroying the radio. He's destroying the, he's 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 sabotaging every attempt to get other help. He's determined to bring the shark down himself. And but you, it's so motivated and it's so like. You just don't see summer blockbusters with monologues like that. Brilliantly <laughs> delivered, brilliantly acted, a tour de force of acting and seriousness, real solemnity. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a very unusual thing and helps make sort of a crew to the legend of Jaws that it has this kind of serious stripped down harsh dark undercurrent running through it i mean and they do such wonderful if you've ever tried to read the book which was a huge bestseller it's it's not nearly as good mm. so every change they make is good they take yeah. all these stupid subplots away they just they make it all lean mean and stripped down and focused on this this shark thing in a way that stays i think i think it stays super riveting and watchable and to me it doesn't date yeah yeah well, maybe this, uh, so the the sort of like incongruity and the banality juxtaposed with brilliance is kind of a mm. good way to segue into whatever happened to Perfect. Baby Jane. Though, though I was about to say, can we really call it banal, the situation? Doesn't it seem like this breaks the rule? I don't think so, because a lot of the film is involved with just like the domestic <laughs> rituals of Baby Jane Hudson. It's mostly know, but... Betty Davis <laughs> making breakfast for She looks for so Joker. bizarre that... <laughs> Then, I mean, how can you normalize it as soon as you see her? I guess that's true, except everything else is super banal. They're, like, in the suburbs. So, like, super brief, like, scene setting here. Mm -hmm. Betty, the film is made in 1962. It stars Betty Mm -hmm. Davis and Joan Crawford, who are well past their prime film stars. And um, the conceit of the movie is that Betty Davis was a child star named Baby Jane Hudson. So whatever happened to Baby Jane is a title that refers to her character. And Mm -hmm. so Baby Jane, you know, child star that obviously she has a, a ex- expiration date on her fame. She's a very grating vaudevillian. And um, <laughs> then her sister, Joan Crawford, who was treated very badly and not favored um, growing up, um, especially by their father, who was more interested in, in sort of like um, coddling baby Jane because she was mm-hmm. the cash cow of the family. Um, the, dar- the darker sister, Joan Crawford, grows up to be a famous movie star. And um, she, in the in the 30s, at the height of her fame, she has an accident, which mm-hmm. cripples her, and she spends the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And baby Jane uh, takes care of her. Uh, and Jane also tried to be a movie star. And in fact, it was part of Joan Crawford's contract. So the movie goes that um, baby Jane also had to make a film every time um, Joan Crawford made a film. Uh, mm-hmm. But baby Jane was not a success. Mm-hmm. So Jane um, thinks that she is responsible for her sister's car accident and the mm. the breaking of her legs or the, you know, whatever, crippling of her, her spine. whatever. Her, yeah, stepping of her spine. Right, right. I think it's her spine, yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, fast forward to the early 60s. The film is made in 62. It's set in the mm-hmm. present day. And mm-hmm. the Betty Davis character, dress, she dresses like she was still a child star, like wearing mm-hmm. summer whites. Um, she has this clownish, horrendous makeup. And most horrifyingly, she's wearing yeah. a wig <laughs> with these like blonde curls. Right. Yeah. Like a yeah. baby, like like Shirley mm-hmm. Temple or something. Mm-hmm. Um and she t- she's the caretaker of the Joan Crawford character. And the banality of the film is that it's set in the L.A. suburbs. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a very sort of Edward Scissorhand feel. Uh, you know, <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're, the neighbors are like mind-numbingly normal. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, Joan Crawford's old films are being played on TV. They come over and bring her flowers because they know mm-hmm. she's the movie star next door. But Baby mm-hmm. Jane, her sister, played by Betty Davis, never lets her b- greet any visitors. And um, in general, there's a sense that Betty Davis is holding Joan Crawford hostage. But that gets very literal as the as the movie progresses. Mm-hmm. And basically yeah. what happens is Betty Davis sort of like a... 
she sort of gets triggered by the neighbors seeing Joan Crawford on on the in reruns on TV. Um, and she's jealous of her sister's fame and she starts torturing her sister. And her goal mm-hmm. is to basically do away with Joan Crawford so that she can take the money, um, mm-hmm. take her money and go live somewhere and in her and have a comeback. She's planning a comeback, which of course is a an insane fantasy that's never going to happen. But she's practicing her signature song. I'm, what is it? I'm I've giving, written sending, a letter to daddy. A letter to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that she's rehearsing for this supposed big comeback she's going to have. Yeah. That's going to happen when she can unload, get the money and unload Joan Crawford. Yeah, and that the mm-hmm. on the beach part is that the final scene takes place on the beach, mm-hmm. and throughout the course of the film, um, which takes place over like two or three days, um, mm-hmm. the or no two days, the film when it opens, mm-hmm. the film begins quote yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh-huh. By the time it ends, it's like it's like the next day, and Joan Crawford's been like tortured and beaten mm-hmm. and um, starved and she doesn't starved. dare eat because well, you never know what's under that serving platter lid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's usually something really horrifying. It might be your pet parakeet or a rat. Yeah, a rat. <laughs> so, yeah. so she's scared to eat anything. So she's starving on top of her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the final scene is, you know, among the creepiest. I mm. mean, throughout the film, the film is directed by Robert Aldrich, who's a cruel mm. bastard, a cruel, yeah. brilliant bastard. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so Aldrich also directed Kiss Me Deadly, the legendary film noir from 1955. Um if you've ever, probably no one else has seen Hustle with Burt Reynolds and Catherine Deneuve. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, equally cruel. Just, these are mm. just very brutal, I would say, like, um, harshly misogynist films. But this one mm. is, like, entertainingly so. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, at, at the end, on the beach, Betty Davis um, and Joan Crawford actually turns out to be the cruel one. And yeah. she lied to Betty Davis all those years ago when the actor accident happened and let Betty Davis think that um, that she was the one responsible for the accident when, in fact, Joan Crawford um, uh, crippled herself because mm-hmm. she tried to kill Betty Davis right. <laughs> after a party one night <laughs> when they were both wasted and Betty Davis was uh-huh. being very mean. And so mm-hmm. um, Betty Davis went to go open the gate back in the 30s and mm-hmm. Joan Crawford gunned for her. But Betty Davis got out of the way. Joan Crawford ends up smashing into the gate in her car and mm-hmm. um, snaps her own spine, but never mm-hmm. tells her sister and lets her live with the guilt her whole life and drink <laughs> herself into a delusional murderous state. <laughs> and then, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. This <laughs> is then, all revealed. On the beach, by yeah. the way, and the be- and the beach scene is the most terrifying for sure. It's something, and that's a it's a really great example of the sun and sand is so awful on these two women. And again, there there are other people on the beach just playing and doing beachy things, while these two nightmare harridans have their final. <laughs> final talk <laughs> they look so haggard like it is so brave of them both to even fucking go there like of course yeah. davis would but I, like one yeah. is surprised that joan crawford allowed herself to be photographed this yeah. way yeah she's yeah. got bags yeah. under her eyes she does look like she's dying and mm-hmm. it's it's juxtaposed with this like early 60s very crisp everyone's got a new radio and a new bathing suit um scene on the beach and Anyway, the cops eventually find baby Jane and a crowd gathers and she mistakes them for fans. And so she starts doing her dance, right? Goes into her dance (laughs) on the beach with her dying sister in this like dark sack on the sand. It's like truly Uh grotesque. Um, 
Yeah. And he has my favorite line in the movie is when Joan Crawford tells, you know, baby Jane is losing her mind, clearly. But when Joan Crawford's character finishes telling that whole horrible story of what really had happened, Betty Davis goes, you mean all this time we could have been friends? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so horrifying. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> the, the line readings are like so memorable and so creepy. And, you know, if you've never seen the film, you've probably heard the catchphrase, but you are, Blanche, you are in that chair. You know, that's <laughs> Betty Davis's shtick when she yells at Joan Crawford. And it, yeah, it yeah. did give birth to the psycho bitty genre of films mm-hmm. in the 60s where old actresses debased themselves for one Mm -hmm. one last chance to rake Mm -hmm. in some money at the box office. Like Mm -hmm. Tallulah Bank had started one called Die, Die, My Darling. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend. And, (laughs) you know, basically they make themselves look as terrible as they can and hope for Mm -hmm. an Oscar nom. And it's it's worth your time. So it really is. It's a kind of horrifying yet. (laughs) I don't even know. Compelling um, little mini genre. Yep. And yeah, that's a, oh, that's a good thing to point out that 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 actually it can help us segue because you know it's a kind of founding of a a, a subgenre kind of kind of thing. Yeah, um, being one of the first or the first in the case of whatever happened to Baby Jane. That's really great because Friday the Thirteenth isn't the first, but it's like what? How many are before two, three, couple? I don't know. It's a, but it's fairly early on, like an important yeah. early slasher film, like the first it, in the it, slasher genre. Psycho Biddy, I think. <laughs> where, where, no. where Betsy Palmer is, you know, in the original. Oh my oh, God, right. you're so right. That is, a psycho that is fucking Psycho Biddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. It can, maybe we'll get here. I don't know if we want to jump to this, but it is a nice Psycho Biddy resonance. Like, is it, mm-hmm. it seems like so indebted to Psycho. And again, this is mm-hmm. coming from me who knows very little about horror, but I'm like, okay, I do recognize the Psycho music. And mm-hmm. I it's like, like, oh, definitely. There's yeah. some definite quotes from the Psycho score and it's like norman's mother came to life this time Mm -hmm. or like norman Mm -hmm, became mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know which he always was (laughs) (laughs) and it's you're and it's so exciting that it is weird to realize that most people recognize friday the 13th for the jason Voorhees character as the slasher killer which he isn't in the first and and with the hockey mask which is the iconic you know image but he doesn't even show up for the third Well, he's in the lake. I mean, he's in, he's in it, but he just isn't in his recognizable, like a grown man kind of masked up guys, which most people associate with it. It's the mother and the mother is such a cool thing. And that's, and that's your, one of your father's, you know, inventions, right? That he gets some sort of continuing claim on, I think, doesn't it? It it gives him no end of, uh, you know consternation that that uh, jason became the killer there was you know jason uh, wasn't even in the film until right. like a, a very very late draft like it was mm-hmm. the film was just supposed to end with adrian king's character floating in the canoe and mm-hmm. i uh, i've heard i've heard different stories about this tom mm-hmm. savini claims it was his idea to implement the carry uh-huh. ending um i don't know if that's true because i feel like I've heard my dad say that he saw Carrie and he's like, oh, we got to have a thing where the hand comes up out of the grave. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Clearly. Right. Right. So we're, we're just, we're aping Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, even mm-hmm. down to the quote unquote holiday. Like they picked a date rather than right. a, a holiday. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and there's right. absolutely, you know, the DNA of Psycho is all over this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also Carrie uh, was a thing and like, yeah, we're going to have this chair jumper at the very end. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, <laughs> so let's throw that in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, so, how did yeah. your dad, was Friday the 13th an important date to your father? Like, how did he settle on this concept? I, um, I think again, just like the, like the appearance of Jason at the very end, I mm-hmm. think they sort of bolted that on. I think they bolted on the Friday the 13th thing oh. late in the game. Mm-hmm. It was just supposed to be a thing, a thing at a, uh, at a summer camp. And then I think they figured out like the sort of Halloween slash date tie in mm-hmm. at some point down the road once, maybe even once production had already started. Although, uh, uh, Betsy Palmer does reference, june 13th as her son's birthday uh, right, right okay right perfect right 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 and can mm-hmm. you give us like a little background on your dad like how did he was this his like first major project in the film industry and how did he come to the movies i guess i wouldn't call it a major project because uh, <laughs> well, I, I can get i can get there so um, my dad my dad was a playwright and mm-hmm. a director mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. All through school, he studied theater and theater games and was a freelance writer. So he was writing novels. He was writing novelizations of TV shows. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in the in the early 70s, Kojak was a big deal. Kojak! Oh, yeah. Fuck yes! <laughs> Loved Kojak. Brilliant, brilliant yeah. Uh, Tell show. Me. Yeah. Wallace, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. So I remember one of the ways he put food on the table for a while was writing novelizations of Kojak episodes. So nice. on my bookshelf, I have like nine or 10. <laughs> Damn. Know, I know, 80 page things that, you know, started out as you know, Kojak episodes. <laughs> so he was writing um, any for anybody who would pay him. We also lived in Stratford, Connecticut, where mm-hmm. the American Shakespeare Theater was based. Oh, yes. And he was teaching theater and theater games there. Mm-hmm. So he sort of like, for, there were stretches where he'd have a day job. There were stretches where he uh, wouldn't and would just be doing uh, full-time freelance writing. Mm-hmm. And he fell in with this fella called Sean Cunningham, <laughs> who had, um, I think he maybe just produced Last House on the Left um, and Wes Craven wrote it, or maybe Sean directed Last House on the Left. I can't remember that, mm-hmm. the specifics of that. Ah. But Sean was um, alleged to be mob affiliated mon- money money laundering director out of Connecticut. Perfect. Uh, so extreme, you know, I'm going to be charitable and call him an independent filmmaker. I mean, because he was. <laughs> it is not independent filmmaking in any way that we understand it today. <laughs> yep. But he absolutely was independent filmmaking. He would get like, I don't know, checks or perhaps suitcases full of money and like make a movie. So Ooh, I actually yeah. appeared in a couple. When Bad News Bears was a big deal, yeah. um, Sean made and my dad wrote Here Come the Tigers, which was a, like, you know, by the numbers, direct ripoff of Bad News Bears. Oh, nice. So Sean back then was an early version of Asylum Studios, you know, the people who make Sharktopus. <laughs> and like, so, you know, like whenever... Um, so a buddy of mine actually wrote screenplays for Asylum for a while, but their their mm-hmm. whole business model is um, when a blockbuster movie comes mm-hmm. out, yeah, Asylum quickly, like we're talking in like twelve weeks, ma- produces an entire film with a similar sounding title. Wow! <laughs> okay. so, and they get they get this in a red box, they get it up on Amazon, they get it on streaming, mm-hmm. and their entire business model is to just capitalize on people who like don't. Re- exactly know the name of the big blockbuster <laughs> with the rock that oh my god see. that's fabulous so they pick the asylum movie by accident right yeah uh, yeah so uh, home movies vhs rental was becoming a thing in the mm-hmm. late 70s 
And so that's what uh, Sean and my dad teamed up to do. They did a soccer movie that I appeared in. I was in Herkimer the Tigers briefly. Oh, I so cool. Whatever, I was in whatever the soccer movie was. And they uh-huh. shot all of these in Connecticut. Uh-huh. Um, I- on, you know, budgets of under a half a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I guess Friday the 13th was more of a major play for them. They, mm-hmm. they got $550,000. They got a location in mm-hmm. uh, a Boy Scout camp in New Jersey. I, can't, mm-hmm. I used to know the name of the, of the actual spot, but I, mm-hmm. I no longer do. Um, they renamed it Camp Crystal Lake, and they mm-hmm. mounted this production. They hired Tom Savini, which was probably a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, for um, anyone you know, who doesn't know, by the way, he's the, he's the genius makeup artist who really who gets sort of launched along with um, um, George Romero. Exactly. Um, you know, Dawn of the Dead is, would be a good one to look at if you want to see these really inventive makeup effects. But yes, it's one of the highlights of Friday the 13th is that it's Tom Savini. Yep. Carry so on. Yeah, that, that, that was probably their major expenditure. Um, you know, maybe uh, Betsy Palmer. I, I feel like there's a story there and I'm going to have, mm. I wish I had thought to ask my dad about it beforehand uh, or research it myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like, they got Betsy Palmer because she like needed to make a, like a payment on something, you know, like she was, she she's been, theater, right? She was, uh, she was Broadway. And then she yeah. was like, um, was on game shows for years, which I guess was oh. a, a thing you could do in the fifties. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. She was like mm-hmm. a regular on a bunch of game shows. Like the, like she was the today girl or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay, but she was, she it. was the only name at the time. Obviously mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon has Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Name. I had forgotten um, until he showed up and I'm like, Oh, Hey, yeah. I, I think that was, I think it was his second feature film after uh, animal house. I might be wrong. Those might be flip flopped. Wow. Um, yeah. He'd only been in, you know, one or two things prior to that, but mm-hmm. nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So I think probably Savini and Betsy Palmer were like the big cash outlays. They might've mm-hmm. accounted for half of the $550,000. Um, and so they just, you know, the assignment was make Halloween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They got Harry Manfredini to do a, a score that is like equal parts Halloween and psycho. Psycho. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant score in my estimation. Uh-huh. It, it, you know, Sean Cunningham had no eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is a, this film looks like shit. <laughs> I feel like I could have directed something better than this. His uh, DP was a guy named Barry Abrams who only has two other credits to his name. <laughs> no, Sean Productions. <laughs> So maybe, maybe he was a hack nobody. Maybe he was also a union guy who was using a pseudonym. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I don't know because this was not a union gig, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it somehow like caught the zeitgeist and became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it returned like the first weekend. I remember it being everybody just being stunned. It made close to 6 million bucks mm-hmm. uh, and ended up making 60 million worldwide over mm-hmm. the course of the theatrical run. Mm-hmm. Wow. Launched this insane franchise yeah. that has very God. little to do with the original film. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. It, and it, you're right. It's so video store. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like this is oh, like God, the yes. VHS revolution. Like mm-hmm. my childhood is seeing the boxes for, <laughs> for mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. Like, yeah. Yeah, and who was you and you and Panos Cosmatos, right? <laughs> and who was the who was the distribution company for this thing? They somehow got Paramount to do it. Wow. Oh my god! Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how all that went down. Um, I'm sure that just they were just like we're riding the wave. I mean, there's this huge slasher film wave in the sure. '70s that's so profitable. Admittedly, most of them are really low, low, low budget, and they're just you know there's millions of them. Yeah, but this is the one that you know is lightning in a bottle, I guess, yeah. and so it does make- have a kind of there's a you know well 
well, carry on. We'll get into like, what's the secret of the success of, of Friday the 13th? It's a little mystifying. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> Um, I, I, I do want to say, uh, this film was written by someone with, uh, mommy mm -hmm. issues. Oh my God. <laughs> if that, if that wasn't apparent, uh, my paternal grandmother, not a nice lady. Got Ooh. it. Wow. Not, not maternal in any way. Oh, okay. wow. Uh, so what my dad did was create a woman who would literally kill for her son. Oh. Uh, I see that it's like it's so, related because mm -hmm. it's like the terrifying perversion of a woman killing, you know, like, yeah. especially a maternal figure, which is about yeah. the scariest thing because it's so opposed to our ideas about nature. Mm -hmm. But also, OK, I didn't even see it that way. Like, it's true. She's like the fiercest protector. So it's right. both like the scariest and the <laughs> most comforting and the thing. ultimate mother, mother love. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. So yeah, maybe Ooh. that is maybe that tension that might be um, helps explain some of the success of it because it sure it certainly isn't what you see on screen. Apart mm. from Tom Savini's brilliant effects, mm. which were for the time the the best thing out there, that you know, mm. fully practical effects. And I can tell you a great Savini story mm. about the production if you like. But it's yes. you know the shots are terrible, the dialogue not great, <laughs> the um, acting mostly. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it's 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 real bad. Um, mm. <laughs> <sighs> you, you finally cheer when when ned the the, the class mm -hmm. clown gets murdered you're like oh thank fuck i don't know oh, that guy anymore he's terrible <laughs> right kind of sad when bing crosby's kid gets murdered because oh, he was what? a nice guy oh my Is god that right oh uh, really harry know. crosby i think was the guy who was playing strip monopoly with yeah. the two women yeah oh, oh my god, god. that's cool that's funny wow yeah. okay and so uh it's it's the kevin bacon arrow through the throat murder mm -hmm. yeah that uh is is the great tom savini story so my dad mm -hmm. wasn't there for most of production i think they sh shot it in two weeks at that boy scout camp okay mm -hmm. And he went down for a day or two. We lived, in, like I said, in Connecticut at the time. So New Jersey was just a few hours away mm -hmm. uh, and happened to be on set for the day that they did the Kevin Bacon thing. So the way that you do that shot. So Kevin Bacon is lying in a, a bunk bed. Mm -hmm. Having just had come, sex, which is very just Don't do sex, it. Right. So It'll get you <laughs> can't do, right? Yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. If you have, mm. if you have sex or do drugs, you will mm -hmm. be murdered. Yep. Right. Right. Uh, it's just the cardinal rule of horror movies. Right. Mm -hmm. Dolores, for if you didn't know that. That's the only <laughs> thing I know. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So uh, the, way that you, the way that you pull off that practical effect is that Kevin Bacon is sitting in a chair that is um, under the level of the floor. So he's like in a pit. Picture that. Mm. Really, they, you know, they built up the bunk bed around him. So, mm -hmm. uh, But he's, he's below the surface of what would be the floor. His head is tilted back at a 90 degree angle the entire mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And they build a fake neck around him. <gasps> it takes oh. four hours <laughs> to do the plastic surgery of like creating the neck and applying it to Kevin Bacon so that it looks realistic. Oh, oh my gosh. God. That is so and cool. This is, an, this is an entire day of shooting. Yeah. Oh, wow. They've mm. got one shot at this because they're on this time schedule, mm. you know, that's two weeks long and they've got one fake throat. Right. Savini one. is under mm -hmm. there. Savini is under there with the pump that mm -hmm. is going to pump the pig's blood mm -hmm. through the, uh, if I remember this correctly, the arrow shaft the was arrow, hollowed yeah. out. Mm -hmm. oh. And that is the vehicle through which, the, that is the tube through which the blood will travel. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you got yeah. one shot at this. The arrow goes up uh -huh. and the pump, they switch on the pump and nothing happens. Oh, oh no. 
Fuck. And Savini, uh, uh, just being the, the guy that he is, yanks the tube out of the pump and immediately starts blowing the pig's blood manually, or oh. orally, I guess, right? Oh. Through the tube. <laughs> because they can't, they can't do this again. There's right. no way it's going to happen. So it's now or never. Shit. Right. And wow. so they get the shot. Um, you can see that the blood comes out sort of unevenly. Uh. But it, it looks great. It's very, it very convincing. Yeah, it, is. it, it does. Is. And I guess after the, you know, after they called cut, um, Savini comes out completely covered in blood. Oh, oh my God. And it's at that point that people go, what the hell? And he recounts the story to them. <laughs> I've oh always, always loved God. that story. Oh my God. And he must have had it in his mouth. Oh, you know, absolutely. It was everywhere. So That's awful. dedication. What that a hero. That is so disgusting. And like, let's talk about the effects because um, to me, they seemed like uh, not that gratuitous. They are kind of mm -hmm. like neat and tidy. They don't last very long on screen. Mm -hmm. Is this unique? Does it get more splattery and more um, gratuitous as the as the franchise progresses? I think it was it was a time and a place thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I okay. think um, <laughs> shortly after Friday the 13th, um, when you get into I don't know, so called the golden age of splatter films like 78 <laughs> right. to i don't know 88 or whatever yeah yeah uh, what once the once the west craven stuff gets going um which i love all of those films the mm -hmm. the early uh freddy krueger stuff is phenomenal mm -hmm. the selling point becomes the body count and becomes yeah. the gratuitous uh, and just extraordinary amounts of blood yeah, yeah 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 definitely so i i think this was just um this was uh, sort of very outre at the time. This was mm -hmm. a lot of blood. It was very graphic. Ah. But this was the this was the leading edge of that stuff to me mm -hmm. at the time. I can't think of, I don't know if you want to think of um was it uh what was the thing that was rated X for so long? Um, um oh, I want to say it was I'm also liking. a Savini thing. It was the psycho cop. Oh God. anyway, so Savini and his crew were the leading ah. edge of this stuff. And right. It, there was nothing that I can think of that was, at least in the States, nothing mm -hmm. more graphic than this at the time. There mm -hmm. might have been stuff elsewhere, Cannibal Holocaust. I'm not sure when that was. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, super underground stuff, Giallo well, stuff. Well, Texas might have been Chainsaw. Happening. I can't, now I'm trying to remember. Is it? It's got to be super 70s. bloody. That's the 70s. That's 70. What's yeah, a couple Texas years before? Chainsaw's before. 74. Four. Okay. Yeah. 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 And it made me it made me ask myself, like, what is the appeal of this film? Is it the suspense or the blood? I mean, I guess it's both. But I was like, why did people gravitate towards this? I thought it was going to be because they got to see lots of blood, but it, the blood didn't really materialize like in mm -hmm. as graphic of a way as I expected. So mm -hmm. I was like, I guess it's just like the good old fashioned suspense, you know, being trapped in the woods and with a killer on the loose i don't well, know and, the, and this film also it does have it makes sense it's coming off of halloween it's got the final girl so if you want to go you want to string along with carol clover's men <laughs> women and chainsaw yeah she's got the argument for why this is so appealing at least to a certain demographic mm -hmm. um should i recount the whole please, final girl please thing? recount <laughs> the final girl argument well i only like to bring it up because it's one of the few ever um, crossover academic works where the, the, the term final girl is gone into, you know, just popular parlance. Uh -huh. and, uh, um, that 
tends not to happen if you're in academics. And I was studying with her. She was my, um, I got a ringside seat. Uh, I, I was, she was my dissertation advisor. Mm-hmm. So I would be in her office talking to her when the calls were coming in for everyone wanting to interview her all over the world. Oh, wow. Because this, this book hits, she was the first book blank serious take on the slasher film. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole motivation, she told me she had her whole argument when she and a, and a friend, and they're both middle-aged women, on a dare, they dared each other to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd never even seen horror. Like, they, both of them were squeamish about horror, so of all films. Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, they go, and even though it's, it's you know, 20 years late, it was somewhere, t- sometime in the, I don't know, early 90s, I think, mm. it's happened. Um, it was packed. It was a kind of one of those revival showings, and it was packed with mainly teenage and early 20-something guys. Mm-hmm. And to, just to deal with being unable to deal with the film so well, she really, Carol Clover really focused on the audience, and she couldn't get over how everybody was cheering for, the ki- for Leatherface, the, the, the yeah. <laughs> chainsaw-wielding killer. So it, they were totally for him, killing teenagers. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and then they would switch at the end so that the final girl, when the, she is now battling for her life, she's the last one standing, they would switch, and she starts attacking back. She, they would switch and cheer for her. Oh, wow. And, and she was like, that is so weird. Why would you cheer for the killer and then turn only at the very end and cheer for the last girl? And Halloween is an even better example. Yeah. That's the, the real example where it's Laurie Strode and, you know, you're, but, be, but it would be the same pattern, she claimed, in the, in the uh, you know, the target audience, she, she would say. But anyway, mm-hmm. she winds up making a, a, an argument that there's a weird kinship, a relationship kind of between the final girl and the, and the slasher killer. Mm-hmm. And it's the, you know, and it has to do with that whole sex rule. The, yep. the final girl is usually the one who doesn't have sex. And, and Friday the 13th is absolutely, you know, Alice is the prim, you know, one is always buttoned up to the neck and doesn't have sex. And that she's right. Um, so often she'll also have an, a, a g- kind of gender neutral name. You know, um, she'll, there'll, be, there'll be various things that make her, her sexuality a little less because she hasn't gone into the full heterosexual sex that the, all the other teens pair off and then they get murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's her kind of staying outside of that. And then there's always, you know, in, in, the, in the main ones, the kind of sexually, <laughs> the ultra outsider of the slasher figure. And again, Michael Myers from Halloween is probably the perfect one. He kills his sister. I think she's having sex with her boyfriend. If I'm remembering Halloween, I think I'd remember. I've seen it a million times. <laughs> But it's clearly a sexualized killing of Mike Myers when he's a little boy mm-hmm. against his beautiful, sexually active teenage sister. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, he's killing all the teens who have sex. So it's, it's a kind of an argument that as yet, you know, not yet sexually fully determined young men, especially usually teens, mm-hmm. um, without realizing, because of course they'd be horrified, knew <laughs> <Yeah>. this <laughs> argument. Can identify, can switch, that can go back and forth in identification between those two figures who are, even though they seem opposed, are also united in certain qualities. And there's a lot more psychoanalytic and feminist stuff that goes into it, too, that I'm not even mentioning. Yeah. Because I can't remember it, frankly, but there's a lot of it. (laughs) It's a a long book. Um, But anyway, so for for whatever reason, the final girl concept has has lasted. So people will cite that as, oh, it's a horror film, and and so-and-so is the final girl. You read it in reviews, people just use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, so Friday the 13th has that, and it has the basic structure because you don't know it's a, the mother. I think there's, you're clearly supposed to assume throughout the whole film that it's a man. Definitely. You know, it's all shot that way, you know, just the whole implication. And so it, the shocker is that it turns out to be the woman and the mother. Um, which, so that's a 
you know, that's a that's a shift definitely from the, the usual um, structure, but it would still fit in up to that up to that revelation. But at the end, I think. Right. So if you buy into that idea, that there's something compelling about that that defines the slasher film. You could string along with that, I guess. With the okay, so like part of the reason that you think it's a man is because there's this like um, mm-hmm. Annie is the name of this very enthusiastic right. camp counselor yes, to be who never gets never gets <laughs> who never there. gets there. Um, right. And she gets a ride with first a, a man from town uh, who's right. like an oil rig driver or something. Right. He's 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 friendly and he says you know he does kind of say like is everyone up there as pretty as you? But he's basically a good guy and he mm-hmm. he warns her that it's a you know it's got bad mojo and. Right. Um, then she gets a second ride and you fi- right. you figure it's from a man. And, right. ha- you know, uh, as the drive progresses, she starts to get really scared and demands to be let out. And mm-hmm. it's still so you never find out, like, why does she become terrified? Is it simply because the driver speeds up? And when you know, right. in retrospect, that it's the mother who likely picked mm-hmm. her up, um, mm-hmm. it's even more mysterious. You're just like, what the hell is she? But it makes it scarier because mm-hmm. you're like, what was she doing that was freaking out Annie? You know, right, right. <laughs> and right. you never get to see it. It's all like mm-hmm. first person subjective from the killer's right. point of view. And if I remember right, the, the camera is angled a little bit so that it seems tall. Yes, seems quite tall. Exactly. Looking down on her. So you, you can't, it can't help man. but suggest to you it's a man. Yeah, yeah. that's so true, yeah. Eileen. Good call. Yeah. It's There's very Hitchcock. <laughs> There's also a shot in the woods where Annie is being pursued and she does the horrible trope of the woman falling down when being right. chased by the killer. Oh, yeah, they know, always trip. Women always trip. Well, she she was injured. Stuff. She was, she, yeah. When she yeah, bailed she out of the car, well. she like injured her leg. So yeah. I'm willing to give my dad a pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> More motivated uh, than usual than yeah. just, oops, I tripped. Yeah. yeah. There is a shot of the killer and you see a pair of work boots Oh, that's trousers. right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so that's right. It sort of signifies male, and also uh-huh. like this is more of a like a continuity mistake than mm. anything else. Uh, there is a there's a long shot of the jeep driving at some point where it's clearly being driven by a male person who is not. Um, that's oh wow! Uh, oh, I did not remember that at all. Ooh. But that's like that's yeah, that's more like an error. Continuity, <laughs> okay. But yeah. it's also something you know Hitchcock did with Psycho because he d- he didn't want. He didn't want anyone to guess. And Anthony Perkins yeah. had such square shoulders and was tall. Mm. So that when you see the shadow, they, he said, we can't use Anthony Perkins. Oh. People will guess. So it's a woman doing the shower scene stabbing. So you won't even begin to think, oh, oh I, didn't. I recognize oh. that. <laughs> I do need yeah. to mention since Halloween came up, mm. um, did you guys see that uh, David Gordon Green is doing a Halloween installment? It's called Halloween Kills and it will be out in October. Oh, no. I can't wait. <laughs> I think I read something that that for the for decades, Friday the 13th was the most profitable franchise. And Almost it was certainly, yeah. I think it was. And they only got overtaken by Halloween really late. Like in what was the last thing they did that was a oh, hit? Was, was that Halloween or 20 ago, yeah. or I forget? I think it was that. That finally nudged it a little ahead. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is back, baby. Oh, my God. Man. 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 Yeah, it just seems like, well, Friday the 13th ever died. Didn't they they put him in space and have him fight Freddy? And they've they've done everything. They've done everything. Yeah. They've really sort of leaned into the the horror comedy Mm -hmm. um, on a couple of those installments. I've seen very few of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've seen any of them. I've seen little clips of. I don't know, an earlier one that has Voorhees in it, but no, no, yeah. not at all. So is there, is there, is there, is it so, like, how well did your father do off of this? Oh, Have not it? well. 
Not, not well. well. So he There's got broke out of all of it. Well, he, d- you know, this, this stuff, they were doing it um, on the fly on spec. Mm-hmm. He got paid a flat fee. Oh. Um, it was uh, work for hire. Yeah. Right. And the, the rub came when, you know, all the sequels started coming out and theoretically, or, or I guess, uh, you know, I, ideologically, uh, my dad did create Jason. And so mm-hmm. there is all this intellectual property that's been very, like you said, very profitable mm-hmm. franchise that has been based on something that he created. Mm. So, you know, being in a union, the Writers Guild will sue on your behalf and Ooh. did. Uh-huh. And so there has been some recompense for some of that stuff. And he mm-hmm. did, um, I believe now in subsequent installments, it does say based on characters created by oh, Victor okay. Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is an ongoing lawsuit, the details of which I'm completely unclear on. I think it might be for <laughs> things like video game properties. And oh, things like that. right. So I don't I know. know there's it's, comic books. There's so many yeah, ancillary crazy, everything. Crazy profitable video games and things. Yeah. So there are there is ongoing litigation. Even if I knew the details about this stuff, which I absolutely do not, I wouldn't mm. be able to comment on it. But, sure, so, sure. Still in motion. Good God. My dad, my dad is not a young man. Um, as as I am not a young man. Well, um, no. So we'll have none to see. None of us we're none of us getting younger. No yeah. indeed. We'll yeah. have to see what happens. Uh, yeah, so. Ian, wow. does your dad go and see the films, like the successive uh sequels? No. No, no. For a while there he was the only um you know, he's a, he's a bit of a narcissist. He likes um, he likes his accolades, <laughs> and so for a while there, like he loves talking about this stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. For a while there, he was going to conventions. Oh yeah. Like he had an agent who was representing him, who mm-hmm. would like book appearances, and he would mm-hmm. show up and talk to folks and sign photographs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But no, he has no interest in seeing the films. I think primarily because they sort of perverted his right. basic his, idea. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but the, yeah. you know, on the other hand, I mean, I can see the. If you own that IP and there is mm-hmm. this, you're leaving money on the table if you don't make a sequel. That's the whole nature of this business now, at this point. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing oh, all you. that. That's Wow. Yes. You, so you were so frank in ways I wasn't going to go there. And then you oh. did. I'm so glad. It's my great <laughs> just pleasure. Saying, it I... just looks like crap. And I'm like, yes, he said it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> there's like, okay, there's like two cool shots in the whole movie that, you know, aren't Tom Savini related. Uh-huh. There's one, there's one when the killer, and I guarantee these were stolen from somewhere. I only wish I knew where they were from. <laughs> There's one scene where um, the woman, the woman who's had sex with Kevin Bacon, whose character I can't remember. Oh right, Mm -mm. uh, the killer kicks open the door to the lavatory, right, the outhouse or whatever it is, and the light spills onto the floor in a cool way. I was like, oh, okay, they lucked into that one, or Sean (laughs) stole it from somewhere. (laughs) The other cool thing is, Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, uh can call this to mind. um, Uh I know Dolores, since you've just watched it. Maybe. <laughs> when, okay, so the initial killing in 1957, no, sorry, 1958, because mm-hmm. Jason dies in 57. Right. And the first two counselors are killed when they're having sex in 58. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There's a weird, like, motion ramping, mm-hmm. slow down, slow motion thing that they uh-huh. do when the woman uh, of the couple is mm-hmm. being, you know, before she's attacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see, you see the guy is, you don't see him get stabbed, but you, he, you see that he's been stabbed in the gut. And then you don't see the woman get killed. Mm. Um, it slows down and then it freeze frames and then it zooms into this grainy film look. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Then okay. the, the the really weird um, logo zooms in and breaks the glass, <laughs> okay. which they'd already oh. paid for. They oh. paid for that for TV commercials and used it. And so then they're like, we've already, you know, paid for it. Sunk we cost. Use We're going to use this <laughs> now in the film for the title sequence. That's oh, awesome. Wow. That, that is it's really cool. Yeah, and so, but the way that it goes slow-mo to zoom to real film grain it's gorgeous. And I don't know if that's something that they stole or something they just happened to luck into. Luck into I don't know. Yeah. It's very cool. But like yeah. Otherwise, visually, the the non-Savini parts are unremarkable and at best and ugly at worst. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we should talk about there is a certain joy in just watching a, ki- a certain kind of smug teenager get killed. I don't even think you have to get all fancy with final girl stuff. <laughs> Isn't it just, you know... I hated him in high school, and now I get to watch him get killed. <laughs> if you really, if you want to do a revisionist reading of this, uh, the Ned character is the guy who uh, yeah. dresses up in the Native American headdress. Right, right. So Just if you want to, he, he got canceled. He got canceled for appropriating. Yeah. You know, that is right. That's correct. <laughs> He got canceled to a permanent end. (laughs) (laughs) That is right. That was a glorious time. And they finally offed him. I am with you there. (laughs) Well, that is genius. And that is it, I guess. Unless anyone has a final claim that they want to throw in there. That's it for our Heat Wave Horror episode. Thank you so much to our invaluable guest, Miller. Thank you, Ian. I love you guys and miss you. I hope to see you in person at some point in the not-too-distant future. God, that would be so fabulous. I'm going to take a trip to California. Come yes. Um, yeah. Dishing on these films has been a delightful thing for us. Hope you all enjoyed it. Listeners, triple thanks, of course, as always, to our subscribers who keep us in dead rat dinners. I've already <laughs> clarified what that's about, so I'm not even explaining it here. <laughs> if, if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the films like content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow News of the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please do join us for our ongoing series, Film Suck Summer Film Series, running through the end of July. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.